Let's open with prayer. God, thank you so much for calling us here today together to worship you corporately as you have ordained. I thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord, so we know you're here. You're moving in every song we sing, in every word we speak, in every prayer we pray, in every demonstration throughout the day. Help us to focus totally on you, the object of our worship. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in this series. This is week five of the series. The series is called Why and How Do I Pray? And this week five uh, message is titled How to Receive an Answer from God. I want to use as our foundational scripture for today... Uh, a passage from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23. And um, we might normally think of this as being part of the Advent season reading, part of what we would use to prepare for Advent, but uh, we're going to use it today, hopefully in a different, um, with a different meaning and a different effect, perhaps. It may be a story that you know, it may be something that you've never heard before. I hope you'll take away some new insight into the Scripture, though. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read from God's Word. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. <clears throat> In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not fear. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. 
And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Well, as I said, we're in this series called Why and How Do I Pray? And the first week we looked at the four purposes for prayer. The second week, we talked about the five conditions for prayer. Last week, we looked at six steps in dealing with prayer for difficult situations or problems. It would look like we would be going to seven this week, but we're not. We're actually going to talk about how to receive an answer from God, and we're going to look at four attitudes that I believe we need in order to have our answers, have answers to our prayers. Four attitudes. Why is it that God doesn't answer? That's a question I think we've all asked ourselves, asked God maybe from time to time. Why is it that he doesn't answer? Well, these four attitudes, I hope, will help us understand a little bit more about uh, that, the answers to that question. The first attitude is this. You must be willing to let God answer in his own time. You must be willing to let God answer in his own time. That means according to his schedule. That means according to his timetable. In other words, whenever God wants to do it, when he thinks it's best, that's when he's going to answer. The matter of the fact is, I think we may have touched on this last week, God often delays in answering our prayers. Well, why doesn't he do it immediately? We want it to happen immediately, don't we? Why? Why does he wait? Why does he withhold that answer for a period of time? Sometimes short periods, sometimes long extended periods. And I think in looking at this passage of Luke 1, 5 through 23, we see that that was the reason that Zechariah was so skeptical. He had the same questions that we would. Zechariah, you see, was this amazing man. An angel came to him and he said, God sent me here. My name is Gabriel and I'm an archangel. I'm in the presence of God all the time. And you're going to have your prayer answered. Now, I think if an angel appeared to me and said, you're going to have your prayer answered, I'd be pretty convinced I was going to have my prayer answered. But what did Zechariah do? Well, look at verse 18. He said, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure? He was the ultimate skeptic. 
Why didn't he believe it? Why couldn't he believe this angel right in front of him? Because he had stopped praying about that prayer some time ago, long time ago. We don't know how many years before, but he, he had just given up praying for that because he knew it wasn't going to happen. If you read the passage casually, it seems to say that he went into the temple and he prayed. And the angel came and said, your prayer has been answered. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't pray for that because he and Elizabeth had decided a long time ago it was no use to pray. Zechariah said to Gabriel, he said, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now that's diplomacy, isn't it? He says, we gave up on that prayer a long time ago. The fact is, God often delays. He oftentimes delays. And the first attitude here is, you've got to let God answer in His own time, whatever that time might be. Verse 13 says, the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Well, that tells me that God heard his prayer Probably the first time, surely, certainly, the first time he prayed it, God heard his prayer. There's not this lag time between our praying and God hearing it. He may hear it before we even form the words in our mouth when it's just a a thought in our minds. He knows what we're going to pray. So the problem doesn't have to do with some time lag between here and heaven. Your prayers are there instantly. But sometimes the delay of giving an answer to our prayers for whatever period of time it might be, is one of the hardest things that we as Christians have to put up with, isn't it? I mean, we really do, I really do want to have my prayers answered right now. As a parent, the hardest concept that our kids have to learn, I believe, is this. They don't understand the difference between not yet and no. The difference between not yet and no, that's, a, that's a hard concept to grab, to grasp. It's really tough to distinguish the difference in the two. They say, Daddy, can I have a cookie? And, and you say, well, not yet. And they go into this fit like you are never, ever in your whole life ever going to give them a cookie again. Down on the floor, kicking and, and flailing on the floor. Why? Why do they do that? Because immature people don't understand the difference in not yet and no. The mark of maturity of a Christ follower is this. How long can you wait? (laughs) How long can you wait? That's the mark of maturity in life too, by the way. Babies always have to have it immediately. If you, if you have a baby, had a baby, know a baby, when they are hungry, they are hungry now. Now. When they've got a poopy diaper, they want that diaper changed now, not later, now. But a mature person can wait. Yeah, our stomachs growl and you know, all that stuff, but... We can, we can hang on a little bit longer before we eat. I talked to a person a couple of weeks ago. I, I think it was after week two of this series. They came up to me and they, they said something like this. I tried prayer. I prayed for two weeks and nothing happened. So I've, I've lost faith in prayer. 
And I said to him, no, you haven't lost faith. What you've lost is patience. You can spell faith, P-A-T-I-E-N-C-E. That's how you can spell faith. Faith is patience, being patient, being patient, waiting. Why does God delay our answers to prayers? Usually because He needs to prepare us first. Usually because He needs to get us ready for what He's going to do. He wants to bless us, and in order to give us that blessing, He's got to prepare us for it. We've got to be prepared for it. The frustration we have is we usually think that we're ready before God says we're ready. When we think we're ready to receive uh, the answer, we get all uh, uh, agitated and and, um, impatient, I guess, is the best word I can think of. But he's saying, no, wait, wait just a little bit. I need you to mature a little bit more. I want you to age a little bit, you know. You get a good uh, Swiss cheese that's aged 128 days, and it's much better than one that's just uh, freshly out of the vat and you slice it. You get a good red wine that's aged for 20 years, and it's much better than one that is just fresh out of the keg. Aging is good. I don't mean turning gray. I mean uh, being mature is good. Sometimes I feel like Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the the, uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he had one big question that he always asked. And you know what that question was? How long, Lord? You look in the book of Habakkuk, it must be in there 50 times. How long, Lord? How long am I going to wait? Now, I I doubt that you would ever say, how long, Lord, to God, but I certainly have a number of times. How long are you going to let me go through this? You wonder to yourself, if God sees, if if He actually sees everything that I'm going through, and if He really cares about everything that I'm going through, And if he has the power to help me with whatever it is that I'm going through, then what's up, God? Why won't you do it? Why won't you do it for me? And that's probably a legitimate question we could ask. Probably a question that he could handle. If he cares, if he sees, if he's got the power to do something about it, why don't you do something about it then? And the answer is, of course, he usually wants to change us first. There's something that we've got to change. He may want to change our attitude. He may want to change our outlook. I don't know. After you've learned the right attitude, then God's free to work on the problem, whatever the problem is. But your first fill in the blanks there on your handout is, God is more interested in making you mature than he is about making life easy. He wants you to work on your maturity. It's not about how easy life can be. You're going through some difficult things in your life. He knows that. But there may be a reason. Even the, the most uh, 
obnoxious things that you might go through, that illness, that relationship, that whatever. Maybe there's a reason. He never said life would be easy, but he wants to mature you into a a well-rounded Christ follower. And he starts by saying, get your life changed, and then I'll help you with the problem, whatever the problem might be. And instead of going out and saying, Lord, change this situation. I can't stand this situation that I'm in. Change this situation. What you need to be praying is, Lord, change me. Change me in my marriage, not my spouse. Change me in this job situation, not my coworker or my boss or whoever it is. Change me in this relationship, not the other person in the relationship with you. Once you're in line, then God can go ahead and answer, but not until then. Do you, do you find yourself right now in some financial difficulty? Maybe what God is saying to you is, I want you to have the right attitude about money first. Then I can help you out. Got to discover what the right attitude about money is. The fact of the matter is that God is never late His timing is always perfect. He's never late. God's delays are not God's denials. His not yet are not His no's. A lot of times He says, wait, wait, wait. And I don't know about you, that is the toughest answer for me to get. I'd rather him say no than say wait. I'm just impatient that way. So what do you do? How do you pray when your prayer is being delayed? Well, there's uh, three things that can happen, and you keep praying until one of these things happens, I believe. The first would be pray until you get an answer. And when you get that answer, then, of course, you can quit praying. That's obvious, right? The second would be pray until you get the assurance that you're going to get the answer. God works that way sometimes. He says, I'm going to give you this, and you're sure of it because he said it, and you stop asking God for it in prayer, and you start thanking him for it in prayer, and you actually begin to work on it, to to act on it, because you know you're going to receive it. That's kind of like Zechariah hearing the he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. He was maybe not at that moment convinced, but they were convinced that they were going to have a child because God had told them. So you keep praying until you get it or until you get the assurance. And the third thing is you keep praying until God reveals to you that it's not, it's not His will. Sometimes He'll say, no. No, this is not best for you. No. So when he reveals that, then you can stop praying about it. You you may feel uncomfortable praying about it after that point when you've actually heard from him. I would. You're not at peace with praying for it anymore because you know that's that's not what he wants for you. So the first attitude in order to receive an answer from God is we must be willing to let God answer in his own time in his own time. The second attitude is this. We must be willing to let God answer in his own way. In his own way. Not only whenever he thinks best or 
however he thinks best. God's ways are always better and usually bigger than what I would pray for, than what you would pray for. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, a verse that may be familiar to you, says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are than your thoughts. My ways are higher, God says. The reason that God often delays an answer to prayer is that He wants to answer in a bigger way than what you're thinking. He's got a lot more for you than what you're willing to even think about. What if, what if that had happened in this story about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth? I mean, just think about it. What if Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for that baby and gotten a baby immediately? Well, they would have just gotten a little Jewish baby, you know, a boy or a girl. They would still love the baby. They would cherish that baby. I'm sure they'd bring him up as they knew how. It would have been great. I mean, what's not great about a little baby? But God delayed that request for a number of years, and we're not sure exactly how many years. And when he answered their request, he didn't just give them any old baby. He gave them John the Baptist, the, the cousin of Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the only prophet that was ever able to see the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus himself, the forerunner of the Messiah, the announcer, if you will, before the big show began. And he's always pointing to Jesus saying, He's here. He's here. This is Him. Ephesians 3.20 says this, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even could imagine. I mean, you think outside your box and you think about the biggest thing in, that could happen in your imagination, and God can do something bigger than that. That's nothing for Him. That's amazing. We've prayed and asked God for a larger space, a larger place to hold worship and events, and a, a place to do ministry to the community unlike we are not able to do it here. He hadn't given it yet, has he? Well, he kind of has, but not totally. I mean, the, we have the keys, but uh, it's not ready. We can't take you there yet because the government says we can't. The way that God does it is he likes to do it like he did when he gave the land of Israel to the Israelites. After they had crossed the Red Sea and come to the promised land, God said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give it to you. But you're only going to get it little by little. Little by little. I'm not going to give it to you all at once. Why? Because you would be overwhelmed with it. You wouldn't be able to handle it if I gave it to you all at once. So let God answer in His own time. Let Him answer in His own way. 
If God had answered many of my prayers exactly as I asked for them to be answered, I would have been shortchanged many times. His answer is much greater than what I would have asked for. And I'm thankful that God didn't answer many of my prayers because they would have been an absolute disaster looking back on the other side of that. You don't know it at the time. You think it's the sweetest thing you could have. But when you look back, it's like, oh, that wasn't so good after all. He was kind of protecting me. Let God answer in his own time and in his own way. Sometimes the worst thing in the world we can have is to have our requests answered. Remember the story about the prodigal son? Went to his father and said, give me my inheritance, father. And he gave him his inheritance. And what happened? He was ruined. His life was ruined. That's the second attitude. The third attitude is you must be willing to let God answer in his own power. In his own power. Don't try to help out God. He doesn't need your help. He'll ask for it if, if, if he wants you to help him. But he doesn't have to have your help. Don't ask him for something and then go out and try to do it on your own. You know, keep giving it to him and then taking it back because it's not happening fast enough and giving it back to him and then taking it back again. Let God answer in his own power. That's another important truth in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The fact of the matter is this, and it's, it's the big idea for, for this week. God often waits until the situation is humanly impossible before he answers. Often waits until it's humanly impossible. He loves impossible situations. When did he give Zechariah and Elizabeth the baby? After they were beyond childbearing years. I don't know where they came up with the energy. We don't read that, but he gave them the baby after so much time. They said, we're too old. They were physically unable to have kids. She was barren. Then God answered their request. But there is a warning about getting answers or, or praying for answers to prayers. Quite frequently when we pray, especially for a problem or a difficult situation, things get worse first before they get better. I mean, you pray for that financial situation, and the financial situation gets worse before it actually turns around. You pray for your marriage, and the tension gets even thicker before things calm down. You pray for somebody to get well, and they get sicker instead of better. It oftentimes happens that way. Sometimes God will let those things go to the point of absolute hopelessness before he steps in and answers. Why? Because he wants to gain the most glory out of that situation. That's what he wants is the glory. Let God answer in his own power. His plan might just be for things to get so out of control that you're so anxious and upset and worried and you know there's no way this could possibly work out and bingo, a miracle takes place. The miracle that he wanted to perform the whole time. There's another 
neat story in the Bible, the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, remember? Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in this little place called Bethany, just, just, just over the Mount of Olives from, from uh, Jerusalem where the temple was, just on the other side of that ridge. Lazarus evidently had got desperately ill. He was dying. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus to come quick and, and heal their brother. And we read in Scripture where Jesus was intentionally delaying his departure to go to Lazarus. Intentionally. Matter of fact, he let four days pass. And, and it wasn't that he was a long distance away. If you go over this ridge and you're at Bethany, you go down in the valley and up over the next ridge, a couple of miles, and there's the village where Jesus was at that time. He could have easily been there in half a day. Easily. But he delayed. He delayed. And he goes to Lazarus' home, and by this time, Lazarus had died, and, and Mary and Martha came running out, and they both said the same thing to him. Jesus, where have you been? Where have you been? If you had been here when we called, this wouldn't have happened to Lazarus. He'd still be alive. We called you four days ago, and you let him die. It's your fault. What were they doing? What they were doing is rebuking God. Because Jesus was God. And we do sort of the same thing when we say, Why, God, why did you let this happen to me again? Why? You haven't answered. But Jesus just calmly looked at the two of them and said, Mary, Martha, if you'll just believe, you're going to see the glory of God here before you. You'll see a miracle. And he walked up to the cave, because that's where they buried people then, was in caves. And they rolled away the stone, and Jesus said in John eleven forty three, Lazarus, come out. Four days he had been dead. Jesus waited until the situation was humanly impossible. And then he called him out. He did it on his own power on his own timetable. And let me ask you, which, give, gives which gives God more glory? Curing a sick person or raising somebody from the dead? God always does it in a way that's going to give him the most glory. Always. So do you, have an, do you want to have an answer from God? First of all, be willing to let God answer in his own time. Secondly, be willing to let God answer in his own way. Third, be willing to let God answer in his own power. And the first atti fourth attitude you need to have is be willing to let God answer for his own purpose. Not only whenever he wants and however he wants and in whatever way he wants, but also for whatever reason he wants, whatever his purpose is. Why does God answer prayers? Why does he answer? Well, I think if we look at the Bible in a whole, there's two answers to that question. God answers prayers for his glory, 
and he answers prayers for our growth. I think on your sheets I probably got those opposite, but for our growth and for his glory, for our growth, for our gain, for our blessing, and, and for his glory, when a prayer is answered, he can be glorified in what has taken place. Why did God answer that prayer that Elizabeth and Zechariah had for a son? Because God needed a John the Baptist. He needed in that time to have a John the Baptist. He was the, that was the purpose for that little boy to be born at that time. He knew that Elizabeth and Zechariah would raise him well. He knew that would not be a problem. But the timing had to be perfect. There's another example in Scripture that I can't think encapsulates all of these attitudes that we're talking about, and that's the, the life of Paul. Paul, the great apostle in the New Testament, the one who, who is responsible for most of the New Testament. Paul was willing to let God answer his prayers in his own time, in his own way, in his own method, in his own power, and in his own purpose. Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Rome. We call it Romans. Duh. And in this uh, letter to the Romans, he, he wanted to lay out, uh, well, he, he has a lot of doctrine in there. We look at that book for a lot of doctrine. But he lays out his heart in that uh, book of Romans. We get to see a glimpse of it. Uh, Rome, again, was the capital of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was, was it. Rome was it. It was the city. There was no other city anywhere on earth that would compare to Rome. It was the center of everything. You know, all roads lead to Rome, that, that saying. So Paul writes in Romans 1-7, "...to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints." And then he goes on after that to say, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you for a long time. Every time I think of you, I pray for you. Romans 1.10 says, You are in all my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you there in Rome. Romans 1.15, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you at Rome. See, Paul's desire, his, his one motive in life, his ultimate goal, his dream, if you will, was to preach in Rome. I want to go to the most significant city in the world, and I want to preach to the movers and the shakers there. That's what he wanted to do. He had this dream I'm going to Rome. I'm going to rent the Colosseum for three nights. For three nights. We're going to pass out flyers to everybody that we can find. We're going to get a good PA system, and we're going to have a great Christian rock band behind me. We're going to have one great crusade. And you know what? Nero's going to come to know Jesus Christ. He had visions of preaching in Rome. Romans 15 is a chapter where 
It, it, almost the whole chapter is devoted to a prayer that Paul prayed. And in verse 20, he says this about living and breathing this desire to go to Rome. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And in verse 24 of chapter 15, he said, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Now understand, Spain was as far as you could go. I mean, the ocean was there. And at this time, they thought the world was flat, so you're going to fall off if you go any further than Spain. Spain was the wilderness out there. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. He wants to come to Rome to see him, he says. And then he says, in essence, pray for me to have a prosperous journey. I mean, it's in several paragraphs, but he's saying, pray for a prosperous journey for me. I mean, this was the Apostle Paul. This was the guy who was the greatest writer of most of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament at least. Did God ever answer Paul's prayer? Did he? The answer is yes. Yes, he did. But notice how he did it. If you turn to Acts chapter 28, verse 16. Luke, the fellow that wrote the gospel of Luke that we read from, is also writing Acts, kind of um, um, chronicling what was happening. And he says in verse 16, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. With a soldier to guard. That's not exactly what Paul had in mind when he was praying that prayer. House arrest? I don't, I don't think that's what he really intended. Paul went to Rome, yes, but as a prisoner. As a prisoner. That's how he ended up getting there. He'd been put through the Roman court system, obviously the best in the world at the time, and he ended up a prisoner in a house, it says in other places, chained to a centurion. It's not a lot of freedom. That wasn't his plan. And he had written, pray for me that I might have a prosperous journey. Well, what did his journey look like? Well, he was in a shipwreck. He was chained. It was the middle of the winter, and the seas were as rough as they could be in the Mediterranean. He got bit by a bunch of snakes. That's not my idea of a perfect Mediterranean cruise by any means. He gets there as a prisoner, and then he's kept in house arrest. Can't go anywhere. The point is that Paul made it to Rome, but he was willing to let God work it out any way God wanted to. How did he get there? Well, this is funny, too. He had to go before Felix and Agrippa, two governors... And Caesar also was involved in it. So these Roman leaders were the ones that were responsible for getting him to Rome. Sometimes God answers our 
prayers through the most unlikely people. And he may answer your prayers through people that are not even Christians. These guys weren't Christians. You never know where that answer for prayer is going to come from. He had probably never imagined that Felix and Agrippa and Caesar were going to be a part of answering his prayer to get to Rome. Second, God answered in his own time in Paul's life. There's no telling how many times Paul had packed his bags, gotten ready. He was sure he was going to get on the next boat headed to Rome. Just knew it was going to happen. It was in his blood. He wanted to do that more than anything else in the world. But the fact of the matter is that God, God's never in a hurry. Never, ever in a hurry. You study the Gospels and you, you read about Jesus' work and how many times did he say, the time has not yet come. It's not time yet, guys. It's not time yet. Just hang on here a little bit. And the third thing is God answered for his own purpose. Paul wanted to go to Rome. Why? To preach. To preach. But why did God want Paul to go to Rome? To write. To write. While he was under house arrest, he had a lot of time on his hands. So what did he do? He wrote these letters to a bunch of Christians along the Mediterranean shore. And later they put those letters together in what we call today the New Testament. That's what makes up the New Testament. We got the New Testament because because Paul was allowing God to answer in his own way, in his own time, and for his own purposes. Paul's real desire, his... his, uh, uh, his heart of hearts, his desire was that he might make an impact for Christ in the world. And he got to do that. He thought the best way was through preaching in Rome. But sometimes God denies our requests in order to give us what really is the desire of our hearts. What made a greater impact? Preaching at a three-day crusade in the Roman Colosseum or writing the New Testament? When you pray and the request is not right, God says no. When you pray and you're not right, God says grow. When you pray and the timing is not right, God says, slow. And when you pray and everything's right, God says, go. Go. He gives you the green light, and you're able to move ahead. On the back of your handout, I've got some next steps for you. These are not unfamiliar. I'd love for you to try to do these this week. Maybe we can share them next week. The first is pray for one thing. Pray for one thing for somebody that you know. Somebody that you already know. Eh, your, your spouse, your kids, your, your neighbor, your, the guy that fixes your car. Pray for that person for one thing. 
just ask, what can I pray for you about? This is fun to do in a restaurant when you have a wait person coming to you, and you can say, how can I pray for you? You ought to see the looks on their faces. They're afraid you're going to do it right then. And I've actually had some people that would drop to their knees right there at the table. I was on an airplane once and said that to the, the stewardess, and she got down on her knees right in the aisle. We prayed. That was a little unusual. Um, number two, pray for one thing for someone you don't know. Someone you don't know. Wow, who could that be? Well, maybe you hear a news account about a Coptic Christian in Egypt that's being persecuted, and you could pray for that person. Maybe you could pick up the paper and look at the mugshots and pray for somebody that appears in the mugshots. I don't know. Pray for somebody that you don't know. That'll stretch you a little bit. Number three, pray for one thing for yourself. Sometimes we have the hardest time praying for ourselves. I find it's much easier to pray for other people than it is to pray for myself. And fourth, share your results. Share your results so that you can encourage other people in their prayer lives as well. I'd love for you to try to do these this week and next uh, Sunday as we wrap this series up, kind of summarize what's going on. Maybe you could share how that went with you. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Let's pray. So I'd ask, what about your prayer life today? Are you willing to let God answer in his own way? Any way he sees fit? Any way. Are you willing to let him answer in his own time? That means whenever he sees fit. Whatever way he thinks best. In his own power. It may mean that things don't go as as you've planned for a while. It may mean things actually get worse for a while before they begin to get better and God can do that miracle. He loves it when the situation is humanly impossible. That's when he loves to work the most. Are you willing to let God answer your prayers for his purpose? What, what are your purposes? Your growth, his glory, those should be your purposes. Why are you praying what you're praying? What's your motive behind it? What's your desire? What is it that you're really looking for? You're praying for health? What are you going to do with that health once you get it? You're paying, praying for financial freedom? What are you going to do with that money once it's rolling in? You're praying for a new job? How are you going to use that new job to glorify him? Are you willing to let him answer in his time, in his way, in his power for his purpose? Lord, help me to know you better.
help me to realize how much you love me. Help me to know or to discover, begin to discover your plan for my life. And help me to cooperate in that plan, not to work against you, but to work with you. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Today, make me a Christ follower. Make me a new person inside. I want to know you personally, not just as a religion, but in a relationship with you. Jesus, make yourself real to me today, just now as I'm sitting here. I want to believe in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I don't understand all this stuff, but I pray that you would help me to understand it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think on the night that they were in that upper room, there was a lot of prayer going on. If you read chapter 14, 15, 16 of uh, of the book of John, you'll see that there was a lot of prayer that was taking place about different things. A lot of revelations that were coming out. I tell you every week, Jesus knew that that he wasn't going to be here much longer. I mean, his time had come. This was the time. And he wanted to leave with his friends the most important things on his mind, the things that he really thought would make a difference in their lives and in their eternity, even more so. And as you read through those chapters, you see some of those things, how important it was for them to understand that there is a heaven, that it's a real place, what it looks like, that he's going there to prepare it for them. And after the meal, he took, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. They maybe didn't understand that. The next day they wouldn't understand that. But 50 days later they certainly did. He took the cup and poured the wine in saying, this cup is the new covenant It's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Didn't understand that either, the significance of the wine and what he was saying about this new covenant. They were living under the covenant. What do you mean by this new covenant? He said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, 
You remember my death until I come. He didn't tell us to remember his birth. He commanded us to remember his death. Why? Because of the degree of love that's shown there. God so loved you. You and you and you and you and you. God so loved you that he gave his only son to die for you. Now that's love. That's love. I'm going to ask the servers to come, please. Take just a few moments here to kind of settle the score on your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. You know if it's lacking in some way, and He can give you the specifics of it. There's some thing that you're doing or not doing that would square up that relationship, then talk to him about it right now. We call that confession and ask for forgiveness. And remember that verse that says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you have to do is talk to him about it. Admit to him that, yeah, I did this and I, I... I know it was wrong, and I'm sorry. That's all he's wanting to hear from you. If your relationship is one that's perfect with him, you feel like it's never been better, then please thank him for it. Don't take it for granted. Thank him for that relationship, that strong relationship that lets you know that you have access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. This table's open for anyone. It's not a renovation table. You don't have to have any hoops to jump through before you take communion. In other words, you don't have to have been baptized or this or that or belong to this church or that. It doesn't matter. All that he asks is that you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then he says, come. He invites each of you to come. Our servers will be on either side here. Uh, they have juice available if you choose not to use wine. The baskets there are for your connect cards, your alpha registrations, any gifts that you may have. Karen's on this side as uh, part of our ministry team, and Jay's on this side as part of our ministry team. They would love to pray with you. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're talking about prayer. Let them let them share with you. You got an answer to prayer you want to share? Share it with them. You don't have to do it in front of all of us right now. Share it with them. Come to his table. He has invited you here today.